You're listening to the Crowdfunding Nerds Podcast, a podcast that will help you succeed before, during, and after your crowdfunding event. And now, here is your host, Andrew Lowen. What up, nerds? This is Sean, not Andrew. I'm opening up the episode. We continue our talk with Joe Slack and how to transition from your first Kickstarter to your second Kickstarter. The link to the first episode is in the show notes. Make sure to check that out. If you haven't already, let's get into it. So I have a couple of questions that that kind of relate to some of the things we've talked about. I just wrote them down. Every once in a while, we talk, we bring up this concept of being the face of your company. So, so you know, in, in some cases, you know, Jamie Stegmeyer, we use him as an example all the time. He is the face of his company. He also has a brand, which would be the type of game, you know, you know, when you're playing a Jamie Stegmeyer game or a Stonemeyer game that you're going to do one thing and that's your turn, right? And then it's the next person's turn or, you know, it's just a, uh, you have one of four actions you can choose, place your pawn or whatever it is on one of those spaces and then do the thing. And it's the other person's turn now to place their pawn on a space, right? The, you know, but I find that a lot of people advocate for buying games from a person you know i am supporting this person what do you think about you know kind of quote unquote being the face of your company you know at you as joe slack do you find that people support you because it's you and and the contributions that you offer to whatever that 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 group is and the value that they gain from you personally or do you think that that's uh, maybe overstating it and that it's not quite as important for somebody to, quote unquote, be that face of their company? Yeah, I, I think it is fairly important. I mean, because anybody can, you know, put a game on Kickstarter and, and some people go under, say, the label of their company. Some people go under their own name. But if you are kind of getting well known and you're helping people out and that kind of thing, people are going to get to know you. I mean, they... You know, my company is called Crazy Like a Box. They, the people are not going to be, you know, thinking about that. Oh, this the Crazy Like a Box helped me with this or answered this question for me, that kind of thing. Like they, they want to talk to a real person. They don't want to talk to corporate logo or, um, you know, a, a a business, right? It's it's very impersonal when you when you are communicating with somebody when you're just thinking of them as a business rather than an individual. And I think through the things that I've done, you know, writing the books and putting out the course and, and helping people answering people's questions, people get to know me for that. And it, it wasn't really intentional, but like when I launched Relics of Rajavahara on Kickstarter, I had a big audience of board game designers. And as we all know, board game designers obviously love games. They wouldn't be designing games if they didn't love games, but it wasn't really my intention to say like, okay, I'm going to pull all these people in and they're all going to buy my game. It was, you know, I wanted to help help people to design their games and you know bring them to reality but something that came out of that you know when i'm sharing you know this is what i'm learning on kickstarter um you know and and just kind of talking about my game kind of on the periphery not just outright like trying to sell them on it in any way but i would mention my game or put an example or put an image saying oh this is kind of what i did with this and this is how it relates to the article i'm writing you know i i did have quite a few board game designers go and back my campaign because you know it might have been because they just loved the look of the game. They thought it'd be really cool. But I think in some other cases, they saw that I was doing things that would be help, being helpful. Maybe they didn't buy my book or buy my course, but they wanted to support me in some way. And they saw something that that you know appealed to them. And they're like, oh yeah, I want to support him. And I think this looks pretty cool. And they backed it. So I think 
you know, having my name attached to, to different things and, you know, being helpful to others in the community and, you know, being involved with a lot of, a lot of games and a lot of things with game design, you know, you're just going to be seen a lot more. You're going to get that exposure and people are going to naturally gravitate towards you as a person, as opposed to, you know, being, you know, a faceless uh, company, that type of thing. Uh, yeah. I think that, that, that giving people a taste of who you are and the, the, you know, just adding value to uh, rather, maybe I'll put it this way is people who get a taste for you and the type of person that you are through the value that you are adding to them. I think that that kind of combination of things makes them very likely to show you a little bit of love when you launch a Kickstarter campaign. I find that, you know, there were, there were a lot of people that, you know, in the, you know, for example, the board game design lab um, group that, threw five bucks at, at my campaign just because they appreciated that. And we had, I mean, like a thousand dollars in just people giving because they wanted to give, you know, in the tip jar or whatever after the campaign was over and that type of thing, you know, or one or two situations of people that, you know, changed their address. And instead of living abroad, now they live at home. And they overpaid $40 for shipping. You know, they lived in the Netherlands. Now they're living in the U.S. So instead of paying more, they, they don't have to, right? And they will say sometimes, no, I want, I want you to have that money. That's going to be, that should hopefully help you, you know? And I know that that's, that's not because they necessarily agree with the, because they're so hardcore fan about the game, but it's more about the, you know, I, I've always tried to keep things open as far as my my family and myself and my, you know, this is what, like who I am. And I, I do think that that really helps me personally. I do, I would say that it's a, it's a little bit of a sacrifice because you're not, you know, you don't have as much privacy as uh, someone else might, you know, if they weren't in the spotlight uh, or, you know, as if you weren't in the spotlight. But I think that it is something worth considering if you are going to be a publisher. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I think getting, getting a little personal, I love how you do that as well. And I mean, I, I do that maybe not to, to as much an extent, but I probably should a little bit more, but it's okay to, you know, talk about, you know, other hobbies, you know, that, you know, I, I play bass on the side or, you know, this is, this is my wife. You look like the- a bass player that hair. I knew it. <laughs> I knew it. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, like talking about some personal stuff or even just like talking about other games you're playing and, and things like that and, and things going on in your life and that like, just to, let people know that you're a real person. You're, mm-hmm. just, you know, just like them, you know, you still have to, you know, do all the same chores yeah. and, and and everything else in life and you have everything else going on. And to sometimes, you know, say, you know, this, this is something I'm struggling with, or, or this has been a challenge. I think mm-hmm. people can relate to that too, too. Like when I talk about like my first game, you know, it, it was terrible, you know, like it, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's a knockoff of another game, but you know, I had to start somewhere and I learned a lot of lessons and I lost, you know, lost a lot of money on, you know, getting trademarks and stuff for a game that wasn't even out yet. And, you know, just making all these mistakes. And, and I like to share those things because I, so, so you don't have to make those same mistakes. You don't have to, you know, lose a thousand dollars and spend, you know, three years, you know, developing a game that isn't really that great or, you know, to just be able to move on and just go from yeah. one project to the next. It's okay to say, you know, I've failed or I've learned some stuff here, learn this. So you don't have to go through the same <laughs> thing, right? You can go much faster. Yeah. That's awesome. Now it's great. Sure. Yeah, so, yeah. so Joe, maybe tell people about your game design course and maybe just give an overview of some of the subjects that you cover in that course. For sure. Yeah. So in the board game design course, it's really meant for anybody who's 
kind of new to game design and aspiring game designer or somebody who's been doing it for just a little while and is kind of stuck and, and doesn't know where to go next. So we really go through starting from an idea. So how do you generate ideas? What's a good idea? And and getting that to table quickly. Like that's that's one of the most important things. There's so many people, I have an idea for a game. And, you know, you talk to them a year later, oh, how's that game idea coming? Oh, I never really did anything with it. You know, so one of the biggest things is actually getting to the table, making a minimum viable prototype just to test it out and get it going. And then how to play test your game, what kind of feedback to look for, how, uh, what kind of questions to ask when you're play testing, how to iterate and make changes better. And then going back to, I think one of the most important things is understanding what the vision is for your game, because you're going to get so much feedback from people and it's going to be all different directions. I want more of this. I want less of this. And you can't do everything that everybody wants, but to be able to go back to that vision and say, well, is this in alignment with where I want to take the game? Because that can be the filter really to answer all your questions. And then going through like blind play testing and getting your rule book developed and kind of getting it to that point where you're like, Hey, I want to make a decision. Am I going to pitch this to publishers or am I going to, uh, you know, self-publish this. Am I going to take it to Kickstarter and that kind of thing? And then there, here's some resources for how to find publishers and that type of thing and how to get started on Kickstarter. So it kind of takes you through from starting of the idea of making a game all the way through. And it also actually includes a uh, community. So you can ask questions, you can connect with other game designers just like you. And I do uh, two monthly Q&A calls as well. So people jump on and they ask questions about whatever stage they're at. I think that's one of the most helpful things is because, you know, I've seen some of the other courses elsewhere and they don't have that kind of connection. And I really wanted to include that because at every stage, everybody has questions. So I wanted them to be able to come in and ask that question when you're at that stage and just jump right on it. I think uh, if I, if I ever uh, went through and developed a, a Kickstarter uh, board game and did some crowdfunding, um, the biggest issue I think I would be, I'd have is making decisions. You get pulled both ways, like, oh, I want this to be more entertaining. No, I want this to be more, you know, like uh, uh, mechanical, thematic, you know, yeah. or thematic. Yeah. And, and then, of course, you come, it's like, okay, now which crowdfunding platform are you use? Okay. Now, which, uh, mm-hmm. what am, you know, which, you know, uh, delivery, am I going to use a, you know, a delivery provider or am I going to try to deliver these products myself? Uh, which manufacturer am I use? I mean, I think that just the, the, uh, the, the decisions alone would just like drive me crazy. And so I can see how how beneficial your 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 monthly uh, Q and A questions things would be. I mean, so some people just just need like they may already have the answer they have, but they just need like someone to say, hey, "Go for it." <laughs> Sometimes it's you don't know what you don't know. So somebody will ask a question, then it'll trigger somebody else. So somebody will ask some something about working with a manufacturer, and then I'll talk about that and talk about, oh, well, yeah, once you get that, then you have to like get it shipped. Oh, well, what, what does that mean? Like, well, we have to get freight shipping. Like you can't, you have to freight ship it generally on a, on a boat uh, to get to the, you know, to the port. And then the fulfillment center has to receive it. And then they have to send it out. Like there's all these stages and, you know, people will ask these questions and I'll go into all these details there. Wow. I didn't realize there was, you know, so much involved. So you really don't know until you start asking the questions. And, and you know, some people just come onto the calls just to hear the other questions. They're like, I got a lot of that. I didn't have any questions myself, but I learned, like I walked uh-huh. away and now I you know, have all these answers. Before we move on, I have another question, but I wanted to know where can people find information about that course in particular? For sure. Yeah. You can check out boardgamedesigncourse.com and I've got all the information there on the course and right on the front page there too, there's a 10 minute board game design blueprint. And that's a, I talk about the vision a lot. That's somewhere that you can go and document your vision and all the other things about your game. So you have something to always refer back to and get your game. So if you sign up for that, you can get on my email list and you get, uh, you know, 
weekly updates and, and tips and things like that on board games. And uh, yeah, right on my site, you can find out about the course as well. Very cool. Very cool. You know, going back to our, our subject at the end, the how to hold community attention through multiple projects, being that you have had other publishers, you know, uh, for your first four games, and then you self-published for Relics of Rajavahara, how, you know, and then now with an expansion and other games that you're working on, how did you leverage, even though they, you know, let's say they, you didn't own their email lists or anything like that for the other games, did you have anything that you were able to leverage for your Relics of Rajavahara launch? Was it mainly leveraging your your name or the fact that you had designed multiple projects when you were kind of getting people to buy into your to relics or to, to looking into it, you know, kind of same question for the books. Did you find that, you know, those who would purchase your books, wherever that was from, like, did you get access to their emails and did you send them correspondence trying to kind of convert them into uh, relics, eventually relics backers or, you know, how, how did that all work? Curious. Sure. Yeah. So I'll start with uh, the games first and I'll say, you know, I had a close working relationship with uh, the publishers that I was working on with my previous games. So, you know, when they saw my new game coming out, you know, fortunately, you know, they, they let some other people know about it, which is kind of good, like partnerships and, and, you know, those types of things can really be helpful, but I didn't really leverage it maybe as, as much as I, I could have, or maybe as I should have, I don't know. I didn't really feel like I really wanted to um, ask them for, for, for too much kind of thing. So I more built my, my list organically, but people did see me, working on the other games. I would post things about those other games. So people saw that they were coming out. They could see on BGG that I had other games. I had mentioned in the Kickstarter, you know, I'd been involved in these other projects. So I do have some understanding of how Kickstarters run and I was involved behind the scenes, that kind of thing. So I think that helped to build some confidence, but I think most of the, the, the building of the audience and that kind of thing, I did more naturally myself. In terms of the books, I always try to give people a little bit more. So for example, with my board game design, or sorry, board game designer's guide, my first book, uh, you could get the free audiobook. So you could sign up, um, you know, give me your email, you get the free audiobook, that kind of thing. So that um, introduced people to my list, and then they could, you know, follow along with my blog and that type of thing. And for my subsequent books as well, I usually tried to give, you know, some bonuses or some extra stuff. Uh, for example, for uh, my board game designer's guide to uh, pitch, pitching to publishers. Uh, there's a lot of resources there, what contracts look like, that type of thing. So they could sign up and get all these extras, all these bonuses as well. So I think that uh, was part of what helped to build my list for the board game design side. Um, and now, like I mentioned before, I, I re really wasn't leveraging that maybe to the full extent to say, hey, you know, my game is coming out to Kickstarter. I was doing that more with the people who signed up directly to learn more about Relics of Rajabahara. But I was mentioning that to other people. I would talk about, you know, lessons learned on Kickstarter and give examples and kind of refer and have a link to, to Relics, but I wasn't really kind of pushing people towards that. So I think people kind of found out about that and also me talking about um, the game in, uh, in forums and that type of thing, like the Board Game Design Lab. But I think another thing that really helped that I think people underutilize is partnerships. So getting on podcasts writing guest blogs, you know, just getting involved, finding your way into other people's audience who may have some people who might be interested in what you're doing. And of course, working with reviewers and other content creators and that type of thing, the more reviewers that, that have a really positive thing to say about your game and have a, an audience that matches that game well, obviously that's going to do really well. Like I had Rado, for example, do uh, 
Relics of Rajvahara playthrough, a small, a short playthrough. And I think that really helped that type of thing. So, you know, just leveraging other people's audiences as well for people who would be a good match for your game. Well, I also saw that you also did an, you did an expansion for this game too, right? Yes. Um, a lot of our listeners are either working on their first game or they've completed their first game. Can you let them uh, briefly know what platform you used for your expansion and maybe any pitfalls you had that you experienced that you didn't experience when, when you when you initially uh, launched your game? Sure. Uh, so in terms of platform like uh, that I used, like Kickstarter, for example? Yeah. Or how, yeah. How, how did you, I mean, of course you have like your mailing list and stuff, but how did you... Oh, yeah. How did you uh, launch your product, your expansion product? For sure. So uh, both projects I launched on Kickstarter. Um, so I was bringing back a lot of the same audience. So this was kind of interesting because when you're launching an expansion, and I also had a reprint for my original game because, you know, there's going to be, there's always going to be people who didn't see your first campaign. You know, it's it's up for such a short amount of time, 30 days or less. There's naturally people are going to miss it. So I wanted people to have the opportunity to get the base game as well. Or if you're brand new to it, you could get both uh, for a discount, you can get both the, the base game and the expansion. So I was kind of marketing to two different groups at the same time, which was kind of interesting. I had, I, I was going to, you know, my existing backers from the first campaign and saying, Hey, here's the new expansion. You know, we got some cool things coming out. Here's just kind of some hints and, uh, you know, alluding to intrigue and curiosity, which is actually what Dan Bo was talking about on your episode in uh, episode 61, which is fantastic. I think everybody should listen to that really for talking about the psychology. But yeah, I was really trying to evoke curiosity and, and bring people in and say, oh, we got some new things, some things you couldn't do before in the game. Now you can, that type of thing. So I think a lot of people were intrigued to come back. And if they really enjoyed the game, it was just like more of the same plus some other really cool stuff. But at the same time, I was having to market to an all new audience as well. So that's where I kind of targeted more of my Facebook ads too, and some more of my discussions and forums and things like that uh, to just bring people in. And the one thing I was kind of surprised by was how many new people came in, bought everything. They went with the all-in pledge. I was expecting, you know, some will, but, you know, some might just want to get, you know, Relics of Rajvahara just to test the game out before they think about the expansion. But I only had a handful, maybe about 20 people, I think, come and just buy the base game. Everybody else, it was almost a 50-50 split between people who bought the expansion, who are people coming back, and people who bought everything, the wow. the base game and the expansion. Uh, I, partially, I guess, because it was it was a deal. You got a little bit of a discount. You know, shipping wasn't too much more if you, if you bought both, I think. So I think people were kind of willing to take that risk for a little bit more. And, it, and, and I think it's always a good idea when you're launching a game, if you have kind of a base game and like a deluxe version. I know, Andrew, you did this uh, very well as well. But if you have something, even if it's, you know, a version that's $10 more, $20 more, $100 more, whatever it is, if it makes sense, there's going to be a lot of people who are like, they'll pay that little bit more to get, you know, that extra little thing. There are a lot of people who are collectors or who want everything. So I think if you offer people that, you're going to have a lot of people doing that. And I was very fortunate because I had roughly about 50% of the people who came to my first campaign came back to my second campaign and bought the expansion. Mm -hmm. wow. So that's, that's really high. Cause you know, I've heard other people say, you know, you can expect maybe, you know, 10, 20, maybe 30% mm -hmm. of people will buy an expansion after the original. So I think a lot of it had to do with timing. It came out just after they had gotten the original, they had played it a little and were excited about it still. And that it, this particular game just really fit really well for an expansion. What percentage of base game sales did you make during the, um, that second, um, expansion, uh, Kickstarter? Like I said, I think it was only about like 20 people just bought the base game, mm -hmm. uh, which is a very, very tiny portion, maybe like, you know, one or 2%. But for the the base and expansion together, it was 
roughly around 50% of the oh, sales. Wow. So it was, wow. yeah, it was about, about half the people, but what did kind of the all in pledge getting the base plus expansion That's crazy. and about half the people bought, um, bought uh, just the expansion because they were returning. I mean, that that's excluding those people that, uh, you know, that, that bid, you know, a few dollars or something like that, or got the print and play and that kind of thing, which was also available. People that are launching an expansion for their current game. I think that that, that the expansion, you might think that it's an easy thing to do uh, because you have a captive audience. You have people who have bought your game and that kind of thing. Um, a lot of the time, the expansion uh, Kickstarter campaign is a smaller Kickstarter than the the original base game. And it's because you did all this work and people got excited about the base game. And then, you know, you just kind of relied on your existing market to buy the expansion and, you know, maybe the they could tell their friends or whatever. This is, uh, you know, oftentimes you're, you're, you know, like the base game being whatever, $60 and then an expansion being like $30, right? I think, in fact, I'm looking at, uh, you know, $61 Canadian for your base game only in, in, you know, your latest campaign and then only $32 for the expansion. You had 660 backers jump in on the expansion only, which is awesome. But that's only, you know, $32 a, a piece, right? 32 Canadian a piece. And so you had, um, I was just looking at your numbers. You had like over a thousand people back your, your base game in the, the original relics of Rajabahara campaign. And you had like, so it, it was probably 65% or so of those people came back and, and back to the base game only super high. Like you mentioned that that is quite high. So clearly people are really enjoying it and then you timed it correctly and a lot of things went really well for you there. But what I think is most interesting was, you know, as you had said, the the all in where people buy the base game and the expansion. This is really where I think when somebody does marketing well, the expansion campaign is going to be higher than the base game. Or I'm sorry, than the first the first campaign where you only had the base game. It, you know, it just shows that not only did people like the game, but that you were able to get people to talk about it and and do the marketing, some of the marketing for you and find a lot of new people in addition. So it it did get that Kickstarter project we love, Mark, which is very, you know, if you can give us tips on how to get that, I mean, let me know. <laughs> I, I want to know. It's like... Yeah, I've I've actually talked to um to Anya Combs. She she actually was a guest at uh, the virtual summit last year, and she said, you know, it's 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 nothing like magical. And everybody asks about that. That's she says that's the number one question. How do you get that you know project we love badge? And she says, you know, just tell it tell us about the game. What what is exciting about it? Uh, a lot of people will just email her and say, oh, can I get that badge or how do I get that badge kind of thing, right? Or and they don't even you know send a link. To their project or or any details, so they're like, well, I, I, how am I going to say this is something I love? I don't even know what you're what you're telling me you even have up there. So, I mean, that's one one approach is to reach out to them and say, hey, uh, you know, we got this project. Here's the link. It's live now, and this is why it's so cool, or this is why I created it. You know, if you have like a, a story behind it, you know, I created this because my daughter couldn't find a game that you know appeal to her and blah blah blah, and and have a really cool story behind it. You know, maybe that will get their attention. Um, I think I was just lucky because I was kind of in touch with them. I just had a couple of questions about the campaign and uh, before I launched it, that they were aware of it. And I, I was just really fortunate. I think sometimes it just happens by luck. Um, and I don't know if it 
if it generates necessarily more sales or whatnot, it, it maybe you know it's it's a nice badge to have. Definitely, I, I wouldn't you know say I didn't want it, but uh, I don't know if it necessarily brought in more sales or anything. But it was really interesting because like with an expansion, like you're saying, you're, you're only going to get a portion of the people. You're, you're never going to get as many people buying the expansion as your original game. It's always going to be less number of people, guaranteed. But I was not expecting that it was going to do better than my previous campaign. I knew I had, you know, the the reprint so people could buy it if they missed it, missed out on that kind of thing. But I, I was I was going to be happy if I made, you know, half or so of what I did in the first campaign. Um, and I was very pleasantly surprised. And I think we were talking about communication a little earlier, and I think that's a big important part. Not only that people really like your game, but they know that they can trust you. They know that you'll deliver. They know that if there's a problem, you'll be there for them. Um, I know I had people reach out to me where they said, you know, the, the tuck box was crushed or um, something didn't arrive. They were missing the tuck box or one of the blocks was damaged or one person, the board was misaligned. And I was very quick to say, oh, okay, give me your address. Let me know your details. I'll get one sent out to you right away. And I got in touch with the fulfillment companies. So I was trying to alleviate any problems very quickly, make sure that everybody was happy with their game. One thing that happened actually with my campaign was it was discovered afterwards that I had a couple cards that were misprinted. So I had all these extra challenges you could play after the game that just brought so much more replayability to the game, which was what I wanted because it's kind of a puzzle game where you play start to end, but you can still keep playing it. And there were so many different combinations of different challenges. And I thought I had tested them all, you know, as well as I could, but you know, there were two that were identified that this, these two particular combos together, they, you know, they kind of break the game. And I discovered that and I tested it. I was like, okay, yeah, it's just like one little minor tweak I need to make, but now, you know, this doesn't work. And, you know, some people could just say, oh, well, you know, just, you know, mark the card or, you know, just, just ignore this or something, or just don't do this one kind of thing. But I said, you know what? I want to make this right for people. I want to, I want to do what, what they would like. And the good thing about my game is it's not a game where you like shuffle a deck of cards and you're drawing cards. You're playing a level and then you move on to the next one. You're kind of done with it once you're done. So once once you have a card, it doesn't you don't necessarily have to have it. So I gave people the option. Do you want uh, the PDF? Do you want something you can just bring up like on your screen? You can bring up the level and you can play it yourself. Or do you want the physical copy? And if you want the physical copy, are you going to be buying the expansion? Because if you're buying the expansion, I'll just throw it in for you. And then I don't have to ship it separately if you can wait, if you're fine with that. But if you want it right now, I will get it printed and I'll send it to you. So I gave people all that, all those options and a bunch of people were, and I just sent out the PDF and, and the digital version so people could use right away. And a lot of people are like, oh, that's fine. That's cool. But some people were like, yeah, I, I want the, I want the printed copy. No problem. So a few hundred people wanted it. So I made sure to get them reprinted and sent out. And a bunch of people were like, well, I know I'm backing, I'm backing Montello's Revenge. Um, just throw it in there. So what I did was I just got a bunch of them reprinted. It's only a couple cards. It wasn't a huge cost. And I put it into every single copy of Montello's Revenge so that if even if anybody bought it through retail, bought it through another means, missed out my update saying, my up, multiple updates saying, you know, there's an error, just sign up here if you want another copy, they're going to get it regardless. So everybody's going to get that copy one way or another. So I think, I think a lot of people, you know, saw that I was, you know, being proactive, dealing with issues and very communicative with people, um, you know, letting people know about delays and, and, and expressing, you know, that, you know, I'm, I'm frustrated too. I, I want my copy as well, of course, but, you know, let people know that, you know, you're human, you make mistakes, but 
you know, the big thing is what you do when those mistakes happen. Yeah, it reminds me a lot of uh, old school video games. You know, uh, back back in the days, like when you made your game and you released it, that was it. It was pressed. It was you know set. You had the physical hard copy. And there were no updates. <laughs> um, so it looks like, you know, with board games, at least you have a little more lee- leeway. But of course, and then the today's video games, oh my goodness. I think uh, was a couple of years ago, Fallout 76 came out and I bought it. And there was, it was a CD with nothing on it. Like you just bought the <laughs> CD and you had to download the whole game on your computer. So I, I didn't quite understand that. But uh, <laughs> but yeah, so I, I could see like, you know, the importance of, of, of going through and making sure things are good. And like, it's great that you actually have the opportunity to go through and fix, you know, those mistakes. You offered the base game in the in the expansion Kickstarter. Um, did you have extra copies or did you have to did you have to like reproduce the original again? And uh, like, how were the logistics of that? And was like made in the same factory as the expansion or or, or how did you how did you handle that that that? Yeah, so I actually did have some extra copies. Um had a little over 700 extra from the original print run. And luckily it was, you know, right after I was launching the the expansion. So they were available, but I didn't know exactly how many backers I was going to get for the original. I I thought, you know, this might cover all the extra orders. I might be good. um, Or I might have to do another another print run. And I had over that number, especially when I add in the number of retailers and late pledges and things like that. So it's like, well, I'm going to have to do another uh, print run for sure. Um, So I'm getting another thousand copies of that made. And I am using the same manufacturer. They did a, a great job with the original. I want it to be consistent with you know the color and the style and the quality. Um, so they are going to do another print run of the original game and they're going to do the expansion. And yeah, it's going to all come together. And so we can ship it all out at uh, one time. Cool. Very cool. So I had this question that has just been kind of, um, oh, actually first a comment, a comment that I'll mention. You know, you were talking a while back about, um, you know, how you, in essence, kept email lists separated. You kept the thing, the reason that people sign up for an email list is the thing they want communication about. But if they sign up for a list, uh, let's say for the, you know, your board game design course, and then you send them emails that are like, Relics of Rajavahara is live on Kickstarter. That's not what they signed up to re- That's not the type of information they wanted to receive. So um, you were sharing, in essence, how you keep your lists separated and then you try to kind of what, what I call cross pollinate. So your board game design people have the opportunity to get information about relics of Rajavahara, your game. Um, but you're not forcing it down their throats. And I think that one thing, you know, everybody always is always afraid to send emails, just, you know, newer creators are always afraid to send too many emails and, you know, they just don't want people to unsubscribe and, and other things like that. But I, I find that it's, you know, for the most part, if they sign up for that information, if they wanted to receive that information, then you're just doing them a disservice by not sending the email, right? But when they sign up for a different reason and you send them information on things they don't, they didn't ask for, that's when you get unsubscribes. You want to send information, like you don't want people to unsubscribe because they think you're a jerk for sending things they didn't ask for, you know, it's, it's what, you know, when you get it, when you buy a house, your information is sold to every company known to mankind. Like if you requested information about a loan or insurance or whatever, I mean, everybody hates how companies just, you know, basically farm out your information. And, and, you know, if I can use a, uh, I don't know if this term is okay for our podcast or not, but 
They whore you out to everyone so that they can make money off of you. And we do not want our people feeling like that, right? So you want your people that signed up for your project to think that you care about them as much as they care about you and, and your project and, and that kind of thing. And I think that it's very important to be as genuine as you possibly can in that relationship. Because if you say, hey, I, you know, thanks for backing our game, would you be interested in, a, in an iPod or whatever? It ruins that relationship. It's like you're now a faceless corporation and if I want your thing, I'll buy it. And if I don't, then I, I, I just, I, I'm only thinking about myself at that point. And I'm not thinking about, you know, the creator in many occasions, you know, people will have to cancel their project for one reason or another. And if they, you know, that like they need to replace their car tires or whatever, like, like had happened to me this week, you know, I've had people send me messages about, Hey, I have to cancel my pledge. I'm really sad about it, but I, I have to, you know, life comes first. Right. And I get back to them, you know, later that day, the next day, something like that. And they're like, oh, no, I figured it out. I don't have to cancel my pledge now. And that's I think that they, you know, there's there's a certain level of, of mutual trust and respect in in a back and forth like that. But if they felt as though I was just that kind of a faceless company, there are many board game companies that are out there that you probably have some games on your shelf from from these companies that. They treat you like that. They treat you like money. You know, you have money and they they want it and they're going to send you an email so that you can have your money. And uh, I, it just, there's not, you know, that, that personal, like I care about these people type, you know, relationship that you should definitely have with a small company or a small publisher. So that's, that was the thing I wanted to say, just kind of as a reflection of, of what you were talking about. And then I had another question. So um, this is a, a while back. You mentioned that you had this one question. So you kind of, I'll say you quizzed people about your, yeah. the, the reason why people. Uh, yes. So the question, everything. that's right. Yeah. The, what, what was the main reason you built, you backed relics of Rajavahara? That was a question that you asked uh, your audience and they came up with this kind of the puzzly thinky aspect. And uh, you know, that's what they liked. My question actually relates to that survey. So first of all, commentary, you, you made it one question and that was so that people would actually do it. Right. But, um, I would love to know why not two questions, why not three questions? And then how did you come up with, like, was it a multiple choice answer or something like that? How did you come up with those choices? Yeah. So it was multiple choice. And I guess the, the reason I asked one question, because there was only one thing at that moment that I, that I wanted to figure out. I wanted to figure out why they backed the game. So I would have some idea of you know where my business should go what what is my brand why why did why do people like this kind of game and and where how can i make the next game fit for them um so that's why that was intention so if if you have more things more more information you need to get more demographic information or whatnot you're trying to figure out a lot more details then absolutely ask some more questions ask ask how ask the minimum number of questions you need to get the answers you need uh, but in that case, it was just one thing. And I, yeah, I gave them multiple choice and I, I think I allowed them uh, to make a comment or there was an other category uh, because some people were like, well, I, I like this and this. It, it wasn't just one thing. And I was trying to get them to say like, okay, you may have liked multiple things about this, but if you, if you had to pick one, if you just had to pick one, which one would it be? 
And, you know, that, that made them, you know, gravitate towards one particular thing. And then they could, you know, say, say their extra piece or say their extra comment. But I think it was really helpful just knowing that. And the reason I had those three ideas in mind was those were the three things that I could think of. I could think, you know, why would I want to back this campaign? Why do other people back this campaign? Those are the three main reasons I could think of. Maybe there were other ones. Maybe I missed something completely, but that's what I could kind of see were the kind of the biggest features or the biggest things about the game. Um, and I thought, you know, people are probably backing it most likely for one of these three reasons. And one thing I want to talk about that we were talking about before about email and Andrew, you said, you know, some people, when they get subscribers on their list, they're a little afraid to, you know, email them because they don't want people to unsubscribe. Well, not emailing people. And then suddenly six months or a year down the road, emailing somebody, that's almost a sure way to get a whole bunch of people to unsubscribe because they're going to think, who, who's this person? What's this game? I don't remember signing up. For, I don't even remember this game because like people have seen so many things between then and now back so many campaigns. They've forgotten all about you by then. So if you don't keep engaged with them and sharing different things and keeping them engaged and, and letting them know what's going on, that's trying to sell them on every email, but just keep keeping them excited and asking, maybe asking them a question, having a call to action. What do you think about this? Doing a poll. Um, what, what's your favorite something on this subject, right? Uh, what's your favorite angel? If you're, you know, talking about your game, that kind of thing. Um, you want to keep people engaged and keep them going because you're going to get people to unsubscribe if you don't do that. It's, it's all about building that relationship, building the trust, uh, you know, cause they're thinking about your game when they first sign up, but you're really like reinforcing. Yeah. This is something I really want. I really want to support this person. I really like where this game's going. Maybe they get some input into it. Um, because, you know, you ask some questions, maybe you incorporate something. They're like, oh, cool. Like that thing that I said, he put it to the game. That's so cool. And then they've really bought into it. So the more you can keep people engaged, uh, the better, uh, whether it's, you know, before your campaign, during your campaign, afterwards. I think the the worry that some people have of overdoing it and, you know, talking too much and that kind of thing, that only really comes if you're doing something that's not engaging, that's not interesting, that's off topic, that's, that's going to push people away. It's like, this, this isn't what I signed up for. I don't want to hear about, you know, his, his dog going to the vets or, you know, wherever the case may be. Um, if you, you know, just going off on tangents, but if it's all related to the game and it's all interesting and engaging and you're asking questions, you're going to have people coming back and, and wanting to open those emails. You're, you're going to have a higher open rate. You're going to have, you know, when you launch, there's more people saying, yeah, I want to, I want to find out more about this, or I want to back this campaign. That's mm -hmm. the best way to do it. Yeah, you know, I think that there's an important, uh, very, very important word is context. You know, I think that in um, Facebook groups or other, you know, areas that you would communicate with people, if you share something, you should give context for why they should spend time on that thing. You know, if if we give, you know, if, if for example, as is all too common, sometimes people will share their Kickstarter link and, you know, check out my Kickstarter. It's live right now. But the context is missing. It's I'm not interested in your Kickstarter, but tell me why I should be interested in your Kickstarter, you know, and maybe, you know, tell me in, in an appropriate place. So using that, that funny example of like why, you know, taking your dog to the vet, that's you're right. That's not information that is relevant to the campaign or whatever. But, you know, maybe if there is a delay or whatever, you know, and then, you know, if you're if you were going to hit the print button and then all of a sudden your dog just like had a heart attack right behind you and you had to deal with that, that's a story that could be quite relevant to the, you know, and, and would actually add value. But the, I think the key is, I hope that never happens to anybody that listens to this podcast, but um, 
the uh, I think the key is to tell them why that's contextually relevant to the thing they care about. You know, um, one thing that was weird, I, I found quite a lot of support for my move. I basically added two months to the, well, I ate up, you know, almost all of my wiggle room uh, with an unexpected move, you know, of my family of eight, you know, 1300 miles um, across the, across the country. And I would update, I told people, look, you know, I'm basically not, I haven't been able to work on, on deliverance for the last two weeks. And I'm probably not going to be able to work on it for the next month. And I'm really sorry, guys, let me share with you what I'm doing. Like, this is what's keeping me from working on that thing. And uh, weirdly enough, they are my most engaged with updates by far. And people are extremely supportive and that kind of thing um, because they know that I, I want to work on it. I want to deliver this product. And they're kind of like on this journey with me. You know, they're giving me advice and being like, welcome to Texas. I live an hour from you now or whatever. You know, there are people volunteering their information. I own a chainsaw. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I own a chainsaw. <laughs> Just go. Uh, so, you know, I think that as long as you can make a case for it being relevant, I think that you, you know, for me, I have, uh, you know, every once in a while, I'll send another Kickstarter project to my email list. And it's, and I tell people like, I think this project is really great. It uh, promotes all of the things that I value and all of the things that I want you to, um, that I want to elevate and I want to promote. So this is not like a paid promotion, but I, I just think that you would, you know, this person is awesome or this project is really great. And, you know, it, it just, it matters. So I think that, that, um, you know, my list appreciates that it's like an unsolicited Kickstarter thing that they, that, that they, I, I teach them why that's relevant and they're, they're like, okay, you know, and, but, you know, because in the end, all of our, my board game lists are just people who like board games, right. They like to play board games and I know, kind of the style they like and other things like that know how to communicate with them. And I find that they value that. And that's the power of influencer marketing because you've developed the relationship with that community, with your community. They trust a recommendation. It's a very powerful thing for you to, to put your name behind a product. And I've actually been looking into a lot of uh, influencer scams that have gone on the internet. It's really great YouTube channel called CoffeeZilla of this guy who exposes influencer scams. So the, they have these people and they've, Got these huge following. Some of them have like five million people, and they say, "Oh, I'm promoting this, you know, new cryptocurrency or this this new NFT." It's a complete scam. They're complete. They're in it. They get all their community to buy into this coin, and the, the soon as it launches, they instantly sell all their all their coins, make a load of money, and then they basically like fleece their fans. And it's it's, it's horrible, but you know, it shows you the power of influencer marketing when you do get that community, do you get people who are passionate about the things that you do? It could also be used for great evils. <laughs> you gotta be careful. Yeah. yeah, look at that GameStop stock. <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah, Blockbuster was like, I think was it Elon Musk that really fueled the fire of GameStop? There was a couple, there was a couple fuelings that... Uh... <laughs> okay, because I know Blockbuster video was like, now do your thing, Elon, you know, um, like hit him up on Twitter and said, do your thing. I thought that was so funny. 
Yeah, but, but uh, no, that's that's really great. You brought up, you know, the context. I mean, if it's related to that, absolutely. You know, your your move is going to impact these things, and you and you really want to work on the game, but you can't because of that. That's so so much better than you know not communicating with your list for two months, and then you have everybody saying like, "Did you disappear? What happened to you?" Oh no, I had to move, and this and that. Well, why didn't you tell everybody? Like, you know, these things are going on, so it's so important to keep your your backers updated. And yeah, as long as it's contextual, it's all relatable. It's you know involved in your project in some way, or you're just talking about other cool things. Like, look at this other cool game. Like, they're gamers; they want to hear about other cool games, right? So, if you're just doing it naturally, it comes across that way, right? And I think that that so much. It's so funny how you know actors are highly qualified liars. You know, if you if you're an actor in Hollywood, you know how mm-hmm. to kind of impersonate and 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 um, it it's kind of gnarly. You know, poker players are they make money off of doing the exact same thing. Like, you can't. You don't want to tell people that you have a very powerful hand, um, you know, but you can, you know, the natural instinct of the body is to sweat and to, you know, do weird things to kind of burn off this energy, this adrenaline rush that's happening. It's like, I, I get dealt my two cards and then I look at them and they're both pocket aces, the best possible hand in, in Texas Hold'em poker. They just call it Hold'em poker in in the state that I'm from, Um, (laughs) but, uh, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> something happens like chemically in your body that starts that that causes you to shake and whatever and you have to control those impulses well the same is kind of true for communication where if you feel like you're genuinely helping someone you're going to act differently than if you feel like you need to sell stuff and um you know you're the person you're talking to you really need to buy it because you know, for one reason or another, um, the, the words you use, the, the things that you think are important to say, all of that changes based upon how, like the way that you look at that interaction. And I personally find that marketing in general, people will say things like, I hate marketing. And sometimes it comes from the fact that they just don't like giving time to marketing because they feel like it distracts them from game design or development, you know, Um, but oftentimes it's coming from a place of, I don't like selling to people. I don't like trying to sell what I have to people. And I I always, I I like to frame it in, in, in perspective of I, you have a thing that if I just knew about it, I would be so happy and excited to, to buy that thing. Like I love buying stuff that I want. Right. And if you can just talk to me about this thing and, and, and tell me about it. You're doing me a favor because I, I would want it. You know, I, I, I look at marketing like that. It's, it's, you're just being honest about what your product is and the people that really, really think that's cool are going to resonate with that. And then, you know, they're going to jump on in your funnel and you can't, there's nothing you can do to stop somebody from buying something that they, well, unless you're a government or something like that, there's nothing that you can do to stop somebody from buying something they're interested in. It's just, all you have to do is just let them know that it exists. That's half of selling something. The other half is probably all of the other fulfillment and shipping and I don't know, manufacturing. The Um, 90% of the rest of your costs. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, so uh, excellent, Joe. Now, is there anything else that you wanted to talk about before we before we wrap. No, I, th- I think we covered uh, a lot. I think it, a lot of it just comes down to, you know, being honest, being transparent, being open with your backers, keep communicating with them. And, you know, if, if they like what you've made, 
just make more stuff that you think that they will like. And, you know, just, just try to stay on brand. Don't go, you know, in totally different directions if you want, unless you want to rebuild your audience again from scratch with every game, which I've seen some publishers do, yes. you know, you're better off if you want to bring the same people back by bringing them something that they will enjoy just as much as the last game. And that's all the time we have for this week's episode of Crowdfunding Nerds. A big shout out to Joe Slack. Um, if you're interested in Joe or you want to get more information on how to design your own board game, visit boardgamedesigncourse.com and get your 10-minute board game design blueprint. Also, Joe is an amazing author. And he's got quite a few books on Amazon. So if you go to Amazon and search for Joe Slack, you'll find some of his great books like The Board Game Designer's Guide, The Top 10 Mistakes New Board Game Designers Make, uh, The Board Game Designer's Guide is Getting Published, and The Board Game Designer's Guide to Careers the in Galaxy. Industry. Galaxy, yes. <laughs> I know, the answer is 42. We know this. We know. <laughs> so if you want to make a board game and you don't want it to be really lame, Go visit Joe Slack because he's got your back. And stay nerdy. We'll see you next week. Adios. <laughs> Give us a rating. Five star. <laughs> <laughs>